are back. Back it is a. It's a good. It's a good New Year so far. Uh, apart from stories like Paul Haggis getting plowed under with Me Too. That's a. I did not see that one coming. You know, particularly in the because of the kind of work that he does. Yeah. Seems like such a sort of sensitive. Well, well and, you know what? I'm being overly broad right now. Yeah. But, but you know. Uh, yeah, but man, that that one that one hit blindsided me. You know. That blindsided me, and that's not just a groping thing. I mean, there there are some serious allegations there. So yeah, that's and and, and uh, of course uh, the Kathleen Kennedy uh, group, uh, which um, is starting to kind of take shape with Anita Hill at yeah. the head. Yeah. Uh, started I did just the other day, right before we recorded this um, USC study came out again. Number yeah. of women directors, other directors, but women yeah. directors. Uh, and the numbers had actually gotten worse. Yeah, of course, which they've is gotten absolutely worse. astounding to me. It doesn't seem like it because we see these sort of premier women, Patty Jenkins, Ava DuVernay, yeah. uh, and a few others, um, and, and whose names are big in the media right now. So we, it feels like this but, thing has happened. See, this is this is the thing. You and I have talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Is that the 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 studios are. The studios are not like a giant cesspool of horribly bigoted, sexist, racist people. No. They are a giant cesspool of people who are terrified of doing something that will cost them their job. So mm-hmm. they operate on fear and risk aversion. And they just don't, they look for any reason to not take a chance. Yeah. Any reason. Um, and, uh, which, uh, is, which, is, which is odd, uh, particularly given that there yeah. is more opportunity to do something new now than there ever has been. Yeah. That, that was a perfectly reasonable sort of position post. Um, so a, a, after the corporate takeover period, yeah. uh, when Gulf Western first came in, yeah. took over, you know, Western late sixties, uh, late sixties, right? That became a reasonable sort of thing to do because bottom lines became uh, the the point. Yeah. Uh, there's a stock evaluation that's going to be had at the end of this quarter, and whether or not I work here depends on what mm-hmm. happens there. As opposed to if you were some guy who was running your studio, that wasn't happening. No. Uh, so so you have this long it, period now of where that has been the, the necessary thing. It really isn't necessary anymore, though. They can actually cut that out. Creativity is actually what will, in fact, pay yeah. your bills today. It is, but, you know, good luck. they want franchises. Yeah. They want to know that if I check this checkbox that I can get, you know, 20 movies and $3 billion worth of toys every year and uh, video games, and they, they need to know that that's going to fuel a certain a certain uh, mathematical equation and it's it, you know it's unfortunate it's going to change it's going to change i mean but uh it's not uh it's not as as obvious a change as i think a lot of people think well i do think that the netflixy amazoni although these sure. things are, are being gobbled up and sort of brought on brought in underneath of but nevertheless uh, those places just by virtue of their existence is forcing some change yeah. I'm not sure it's to the better with respect to uh, major studio releases because major studio releases are going to turn into some of these big things that we're going to be talking about today when we get to the new movies. Yeah. Uh, because that's going to that's going to be where they feel like they can do the thing that you just said. Yeah. Uh, you make a two hundred million dollar movie and hope for a one point five billion dollar return. It is. That is a wacky business model. Man. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, you know, what are you going to do? Well, so we're gonna, let's let's dig into uh, a lot of these New Year's uh, Blu-rays and DVDs. Um, got a got a giant pile of anime that uh, came in after our holiday shows. So uh, let me just get through some of that right at the top of the show. There's some really interesting stuff here from the uh, Made in Japan line. That's M A I D E N Made in Japan line uh, that is uh, typically distributed by uh, Section Thirteen. Got a really interesting new series here called uh, Kiss Doom. 
Kiss Doom R Engage Planet, and uh, the this is a you know an alien invasion thing, uh, but it's interesting. There's a it, it takes place in the very very near future, 2031, which feels like it's. I mean that'll be here in a heartbeat. <laughs> Seriously, that'll be ridiculous. Uh, you know, oh, my, my daughter's gonna be. A, I mean, I'm you and I'll be alive. We'll yeah. be we'll be yeah. probably getting surgery for some uh, reason. Uh, but hopefully, we be rebuilt by some sort of you know some <laughs> technology that comes out of that movie. Anyway, so there's uh, you know there's this new kind of this new life form that becomes a threat, and they've got to form a uh, a, a specific organization to combat it. And uh, it feels a little bit like a lot of things we've seen before, alien invasion movies or even uh, alienation or even the, you know, uh, the, 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 thing on, the thing on Netflix right now. Um, oh, Stranger. Uh, no, 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 no. The, uh, the, the Will Smith thing. Oh, uh, yeah. uh, 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 Bright. Bright. Thank uh, you. Where they I take never remember which that. Which is, I, well, it's a completely wacky movie, but yeah, yeah. strange. Yeah, anyway. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's all in, in a tiny little bit of that. It, it gets into an interesting place. It's worth watching. Yeah, this is 26 episodes plus the OVA stuff that was never aired on uh, television, Japanese or American, on four discs. Uh, K I S S D U M. Uh, uh, anyway, Engage Planet. It's, uh, it's interesting. Uh, then we also have uh, Ninja Nonsense, which is nonsense. It's just uh, it's just silliness. This is um, it, it is about a, a young ninja in training, a young girl who's a ninja in training, and it uh, it, it it goes into all kinds of weird Pokemon-y areas and supernatural stuff, and it's it's mostly just uh, kind of young adult, early preteen Japanese anime humor. It's okay. Uh, and in the uh, same vein, strictly on DVD, not on Blu-ray, is uh, Pokemon Advanced Challenge, the complete collection, uh, the first season. I have completely lost track of all of the different Pokemon shows. I am told there are quite a few and that they are all basically the same and don't try to make sense of them. They, the, the kids that watch them don't even make sense of them. They, they just, that, that, that began as a game, right? Like little actual yeah. cards, playing yeah. cards, and, yeah. and then thus everything else. And that takes us to Pokemon Indigo League Season 1, Champions Edition. Uh, I have been told that these 52 episodes, likewise, really don't make any sense. And uh, don't, don't try too hard. Anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, and you're still into Pokemon, uh, you, you really don't care what series came before which one. This is actually a Blu-ray, and it's lovely, and it comes with... Uh, uh, documentation and all kinds of other fun little extras on it. Uh, you know, you get a, you get a 64-page manga sampler. You get a uh, a recipe card, complete Poke Wrap. It's strictly for people who are into the whole Pokemon thing. I I still try. I I didn't get it at the time. No, yeah. don't, don't really get it now. Yeah. Uh, Sailor Moon fans will be very excited. The uh, the super popular Sailor Moon series gets Sailor Moon Crystal season three. This one they continue to uh, really, really milk and exploit. Uh, the the name of the set three season three set is Death Busters Arc, uh, and you will that makes sense when you when you get into it. Look, uh, I realize the whole Sailor Moon thing is uh, for many people terribly sexist with you know the the image of Sailor Moon and she's very Barbarella esque. Yeah. Uh, What's the problem with this? <laughs> exactly. I'm not quite sure. You know, it, it belongs to a very particular kind of anime. You love it or you don't. I think it I, I, I think it has its moments. Uh, lots of really interesting uh, extras here. The English language uh, track here 
is very, very well done. And they have cast interviews. They went, they did a lot of work to get really good voice talent to do the English language track. I would still recommend you watch it in the original Japanese, but the English language stuff is really, really good as well. And, uh, you know, it's Sailor Moon. It's the, it's the ongoing saga. It's, it's kind of like anime Barbarella. What do you want? <laughs> uh, to Love Rue, or To Love Are You, the complete series, 64 episodes. Uh, this is from the uh, Sente line of Section 13. Uh, again, you know, it's very Barbara Barbarella-esque. Boy, I'm not getting that word out very easily today. Why, why would you? I don't know. Uh, so, you know, it's a, a little space nymphs and bikinis and, uh, and all that stuff. It, 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 it's fine. It, it's not Sailor Moon, but it's, it's fine. It certainly has its, uh, it has its moments, and uh, it means to harken back to that whole genre. Uh, also, uh, this I, I have I have seen enough of to know that I'm kind of I'm kind of warming to it. It is uh, Cross Ange, Rondo of Angel and Dragon. This is uh, let's say we step away from Barbarella and we get into a little bit more kind of sci-fi fantasy stuff, more kind of Game of Thronesy, mm -hmm. Lord of the Ringsy stuff, uh, and uh, it's it's fine. Um, it's it's starting to grow on me. The animation is really really good. And uh, the world I'm beginning to make a little bit more sense of. So uh, this is 25 episodes of Cross Ange Rondo of Angel and Dragon, the complete series. Um, Familiar of Zero, complete series. 45 episodes plus the unaired OVA uh, on eight discs, also from Sente. Uh, the, uh, the Familiar of Zero series is also one I, I have not watched enough of to make a whole lot of sense of, but, um, it's fantasy. It's, you know, if you, if you like anime fantasy, give it, give it a little bit of chance. You'll probably warm to it. You gotta watch a lot of it, though, for it to really all kind of, uh, kind of dovetail together and, and make sense. So, you know, make the commitment. Uh, D. Gray Man. We've talked about this before, too. Yeah. D, D. Gray Man is actually really, really cool. And, uh, it's, it, this is well-written stuff. Uh, it, it's, you know, it's exorcism, anime exorcism. It's got a, it's got an interesting kind of quasi-horror vibe to it. Uh, this is not on Blu-ray. This is only on DVD. This is season three, part two. We covered season three, part one, I think about a month and a half ago. So that continues the season three saga. Uh, now getting into some Funimation stuff, um, we've got some, some pretty good Funimation titles here. Uh, let's see which one I want to go with first. Okay, we've got, actually this one's, these two are better than the others. Uh, the most notable stuff here, Blu-ray and DVD combo packs of these two. Uh, one is Taboo Tattoo, the complete series. Really, really awesome animation. Taboo Tattoo is uh, really some of the best anime animation that you can find right now. Uh, the idea here is that the tattoos are kind of like these mystical weapons. Like the tattoo comes alive. It's a mystical weapon. And uh, in this whole kind of this whole kind of futuristic uh, vigilante fantasy future, um, they are they, they basically em empower people to become kind of superheroes. It's 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 hard to explain, but it's actually it's it's a perfect uh, recipe for animation. It's really really well done. It's beautifully beautifully drawn. The artwork is tremendous. Uh, if if you want to see state of the art anime, Taboo Tattoo, the complete series is definitely worth checking out. 
And the Testament of uh, Sister New Devils, season one. I love that title. Right? It's not bad. Uh, It's the whole, it gets into the whole high school fantasy thing again, which I I tend to be a little bit, uh, a little bit tiresome at a certain point, you know, uh, monster fighting kids and teenagers, but it's what goes over well. You know, it's Japanese teens, they enjoy that fantasy. Uh, so, you know, uh, give it a look if that's your thing. Uh, the Testament of Sister New Devil Season 1. It's amazing how much stuff is set in Japanese uh, mm-hmm. kind of schools, right? Mm-hmm. Where they wear the uniforms and... The whole it's all, thing. It's a whole deal. Uh, Psyche K Seasons 1, uh, Part 1 and Part 2. I don't know. Normally they release these uh, separately. You know, like, not on the same week. And I don't really understand. You literally, season one, part one, season one, part two, is separately on the same week. Why not just make it single box set of season one? Is it just so you can, I don't know, charge more? Whatever. Buy it twice. Anyway, I uh, should point out that uh, Funimation also now has their own digital copy system. So they come out with their own digital copies. These are not uh, necessarily compatible with uh, Ultraviolet or, or anybody else's uh, uh, digital copy system. So you, you just be warned. Um, you know, it's, it's not the same deal. But it's its own proprietary deal. And uh, Psyche K, The Disastrous Life of Psyche K, Season 1, Part 1 and 2. Um, how do you even explain that? So... It, it's a it's high school again. It's about a psychic high school kid, and uh, all of the bizarre things that transpire in his life, and it gets pretty weird. Uh, the animation is fine. It's a little bit, I hate to call it cartoony because mm. anime is a cartoon, but mm. it, it, it's I don't know. It's it's okay. It's in the you know. I guess if I were in school in Japan, I'd probably make more sense of it. Uh, let's see. Pull this one out. Uh, this is a really, really sweet box set and it's tremendous animation. Tales of Zestiria and the X. That's Z-E-S-T-I-R-I-A. Tales of Zestiria and the X. Um, uh, pretty. Uh, this is this is fun. Kind of. What's the what's the uh, Ava DuVernay thing that's coming out soon? Uh, uh, wrinkle in time. Wrinkle in time. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So there's there's a kind of a wrinkle in timey vibe to this. Um, it's beautiful animation, beautiful artwork, uh, really, really good fantasy storytelling. Gets a little convoluted at a point, uh, but otherwise, and I hate to say Lord of the Ringsy because it's mm-hmm. not really, it's more, it's more wrinkle in time or maybe splits the difference between the two. Anyway, Tales of Hysteria and the X, beautiful box set from Funimation. Uh, that one's really, really worth checking out just for the artwork alone. Really, really tremendous. And then we have a, uh, a, a, Two-parter again, split. You know, it's first season, but it's split into two parts. Iron-Blooded Orphans, which is a Mobile Suit Gundam spinoff, which is great. If you're a Gundam fan, you're going to love this stuff. It's mm. uh, the artwork's tremendous. The whole you know space-going giant robot sci-fi thing. It's it's the Gundam world. If you if you followed Gundam, you're going to know exactly what this is. Iron-Blooded Orphans uh, expands that world in a really really cool way. Animation keeps getting better and better. Uh, parts one and part two, Blu-ray DVD combo packs, uh, absolutely worth checking out. If you're, especially if you're a Gundam completist, you're gonna you're gonna love that stuff. And then rounding things out, uh, we've got a couple here that are you know this is really silly stuff. Uh, Love Live and uh, New Game, New Game Season One, uh, Love Live. You know this is just look, it's cute. 
It's cute. It's just big-headed girls with big eyes and cute pixies. This is like for five and six-year-olds. Uh, you know, or grown men who have some kind of a strange fetish or something. Uh, oddly that it works for one or the other. It works for one or the other. It's like bronies, right? <laughs> Gosh, it's so strange. Anyway, uh, these come with uh, Funimation digital copies. And, uh, you know, I mean, if, if you like that world, look, it, you know, where they stick their tongues out and they go cross-eyed and they ooh, make those, yeah, ooh. they make all those noises. <laughs> cute little cute little girls. It's, you know, boys will not watch this. Boys will not watch this. This is just for, you know like preteen high school girls. Uh, and then lastly, uh, for slightly older age, is Kitty Girl and. Uh, that's it, just Kitty Girl and. Uh, the complete series. This is maybe, this skews a little bit older once you've graduated from those other ones, and, or if you're, again, a grown man with some kind of a weird <laughs> fetish. Uh, you will, uh, you'll get into this little sci-fi teen girl thing. It's like little, little mini teen Barbarella. This is... Barbarella training series. A lot of Barbarella in this episode. Yeah. And then uh, part one, episodes one through 12 of Trickster, which is really interesting animation and really interesting writing. And um, this is from the uh, the same people that made Real Life. And uh, it's just the, the artwork is great. The writing is really interesting. Uh, everything about it is really, it, it's but it's it's very noir. It's very kind of uh, detective noir done anime style. Uh, and with some interesting, very intriguing characters. I So I would recommend checking this out. It's uh, Trickster, Part 1, Episodes 1 through 12, Blu-ray DVD combo pack from Funimation. Um, that's a really, it's this is, and some interesting things they do with the animation now. Anime is really kind of doing some stuff merging mm. computer graphics and some animation. They, they, they're they getting some really interesting kind I, of fusion I, out of that. I, I like it best when, best when the hand-drawn stuff um, uh, is, is supported by computer-generated, very detailed backgrounds. Which is what this does, yeah. Uh, uh, which is uh, always extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, all the way back to Akira for that kind of stuff. You want to knock out some newbies? Let's do it. Um, uh, so, so we have the 4K uh, American-made Tom Cruise. Yep. Uh, as, as well as the Blu-ray uh, here, right? Oh, of. Uh, so we got both of those. American-made. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and the big difference being obviously the 4K is 4K, but the 4K comes with a whole lot more stuff uh, in in terms of uh, bonus features too. Although there are bonus features on the DVD, the Blu-ray DVD as well. Um, uh, but more on the other side. So it just sort of depends on what, what you're into at this moment. If you're 4K in uh, and you want a little bit more, go over there. Yeah. Uh, if the 4K thing sort of bugs you, the way you and I talked about this last time, yeah. it kind of bugs me a little bit. So, you know, I, I haven't fallen into that world yet. This movie, uh, Tom Cruise, based on a true story, 1980s, Barry, uh, whatever the guy's name was, uh, yeah. just sort of stumbled into being a... Uh, a pilot for both the CIA <laughs> he's, and he's the, Pablo Escobar. He's the worst kind of double agent because yeah. uh, you know he he's sort of ba- well. I guess he's the best kind of double agent because he's really in it for himself. Yeah, you know, and making <laughs> money. Look, the, the, this movie is kind of uh, bird on a wire. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 it's funny that they started making these movies in the eighties. This one's set in the eighties. Yeah, they started making these in the eighties. Yeah, uh, and 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 sure. did it through, and then they sort of stopped. Uh, but Tom went back and made one. Uh, uh, Doug Lyman, you know, yeah. his his career has since go all over. Oh the no, map. since Swingers, Swingers, all over the freaking map, all over. Uh, and some of it not as good as others yeah. of it. But what are you going to do, Mr. So. and Mrs. Smith, Smith with yeah. with, with Pitt. uh, Pitt and Angelina? Yeah, that that's still probably my favorite of his. 
so I go. I think I'm a, yeah. I'm a big fan of go. Go's good. Go's uh, good um, I was nuts about this movie, man. Brad's status, Ben Stiller movie. Yeah. Uh, that I just thought was absolutely extraordinary. I was Mike White uh, uh, directing. Yeah. And I, I really wish more people that paid attention to it, particularly Ben Stiller's performance in this movie. And it I just of, love the way it's put together. I had the feeling during our awards voting, and they didn't really push this. And this mm-hmm. is a thing, you know, I, I, it hopefully, I, 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 you don't need to tell any of the, the distributors, push your movies with the critics groups. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they it's almost like they don't, trust their movies because yeah. they didn't really push this at us you know and they should have like it, this is one if you had had a reception have Ben Stiller out to a reception I hate to say that that, that gets you traction but it does it does of course it does it does particularly if there are going to be people like you and me there yeah. who are talking it up a little yeah. bit you know and we don't feel like we're out there it's talking good, in the Mike, wind. Mike White is so prolific and such an interesting you know I mean, he's originally an actor, but he's he's a good director. He's a really good writer, and he just keeps cranking them out. And I thought there's a lot of wisdom in this. There, there, there. Wonder. This has what I what I always love in good writing. This has some of those scenes where two people are talking, and bad writing will be one person lecturing another person, mm. and then you, as the audience, are supposed to receive that lecture as if you are the person being lectured, and go, you know what? He or she has a point. Mm. This has good writing where one person will say "bada bing," and you go. She's got a point. And then the next person will say, well, ba-da-ba. And you go, but you know what? He's got a point, too. Mm-hmm. And it goes back and forth, and it ping-pongs. And you find yourself really wrestling with the, with the two points of view because they both have similar validity. And I love that. And that's Particularly good Particularly when they are like, uh, sort of disparate characters. Yeah. The, the son here, played by Austin Abrams. Yeah. And, you know, and Ben is playing his dad. He's taking them on the college tours, yeah. you know. And, and Ben is going through all kinds of solid issues that you go through, the sort of midlife thing. I did that already. Yeah. But, I, but I, I connect to it very deeply. And uh, it, was, it, it was a moving film. You know what's weird about this movie that I thought? Brad's status is only Mike White's second feature film as a director. True. And because he, as a writer and as an actor, and you know, Miguel Arlita and all those kind of films, in my mind, he had simply directed... Yeah. More films, and he directed a television series, some TV. Yeah. But but only Year of the Dog, which is all the way back in 2007, and this. Yep. Uh, we've got Jackie Chan in The Foreigner, which I just want to like this so much, but I can't. Um, look, I love Jackie. I've, I've, I've met Jackie twice. He, he, one of the few times I've ever been starstruck by anybody. Um, I, you know, I've... I, I, don't even need to go to go there. I mean, I, I wrote a Jackie Chan book, so which I think you can probably get on, uh, on yeah. uh, Amazon for 12, <laughs> 12 cents now, maybe a penny. Or $300. Subtle depends. You never know with that. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, you know. Um, anyway, uh, this is, you know, gosh, it's just so problematic. So this, is, this tries to split the difference, and it's primarily Chinese financed, and that is largely the problem. So this is uh, from STX Films, distributed by Universal. And uh, primarily financed by Wanda and uh, Huayi Brothers. So you get a, a, a movie that is basically about a, an Irish politician, played by Pierce Brosnan, uh, who, is, try, who is, is dealing with potentially 
rogue IRA elements and trying to settle up a political issue for, you know, where the, the, we don't want to get the Irish situation exploding again with, mm. you know, terrorists in Northern Ireland seems to be like a, a rogue uh, former IRA group and all this stuff. And somehow you fold Jackie Chan into this because he's a Chinese immigrant and there's a tragedy that affects him very early in the film. Arbitrarily. So, arbitrarily. Yeah. And so he goes on kind of a little death wish hunt, which interferes with Pierce Brosnan. Here's, the, here's the, the giant problem with this, is that there's very little Jackie Chan, Pierce Brosnan shared screen time, and for giant chunks of this movie, you just lose one story in favor of the other. Mm. You're following Jackie, and you just lose the Pierce Brosnan thing, and then you're following Pierce Brosnan, and you lose the Jackie thing, and you get the feeling like they were never able to really marry these two storylines in a, in a competent way. Um, it's too bad. It's really, really unfortunate. Uh, Martin Campbell, of course, who had done lots of uh, Bond. Bond stuff with yeah. Pierce Brosnan yeah. directs and does a perfectly fine job. It's not his fault. I mean, he's, he's well. The movie cheats. The movie cheats in this way to me. Yeah. This movie would like to be uh, a vehicle for Jackie Chan to play a, a, a sort of dramatic role. Yep. Right. Uh, so he's this sort of like guy who yeah. seems like an ordinary guy, but it's afraid to let him just literally be that guy. Yeah. So it gives him this deep, deep uh, operative background. Yeah. He has this hidden past as yeah. this guy who can do all the things that Jackie Chan yeah. can do. Well, you just cheated. Uh, <laughs> and if you if you want this to be about you know a sort of a drama about this thing, yep. then don't make him a chop sake master. Yeah. Or, or, or conversely, just you know, uh, uh, taking it, Liam Neeson it. Yeah. Where when we meet him, he is who he is, yeah. and we know why he can do the things yeah. that he can do. The, you know, you can't cheat, man. Don't give me the guy who's a short order cook. And oh, by the way, he yeah. used to be special ops. Yeah, you know, because yeah. now you're cheating. Um, Marshall, um, a perfectly fine movie, well made uh, by Reggie Hudlin. Uh, with Chadwick Boseman playing uh, Thurgood Marshall, young Thurgood a, a Marshall. A very specific episode from Marshall's career. Yes, and he was, of an actual case. Yeah, this is an actual single case. And and what I what I really like about this, apart from, I mean, it's not a great movie, it's a fine movie. But what I really like about this is there's a they get around this amazing hurdle in the story, which is that uh, Chadwick Boseman goes down on this particular case mm. and faces this good old boy judge who effectively silences him because he doesn't have all the right state credentials and all this stuff. So, no, you are not allowed to talk. Your partner here, this podunk local attorney... Pushes it all through Josh Gad. Got to push it through Josh Gad. So it's kind of like a Moses and Aaron thing going on, right? Mm -hmm. And and normally you would think, well, how the hell am I supposed to enjoy a movie about Thurgood Marshall if he doesn't get to go in the courtroom and Do be Thurgood Marshall? Yeah. And somehow... They make that work. Yeah, it's just in a certain amount, sort of, I mean, because Josh Gad is very, very good for one very thing. Very good. Chadwick Boseman, whom I love, uh, yeah, obviously, uh, uh, Jackie in 42, uh, you know, uh, uh, James Brown, that. Now, here's the thing Panther, Black Panther. Black Panther. Here's the, here's, the, here's the deal. Love me some Chadwick Boseman. Chadwick Boseman is a brown uh, black man yeah. about the color of a Hershey bar. <laughs> Thurgood Marshall. Yeah. Uh, our beloved Thurgood Marshall was a light-skinned, uh, cherubic yeah. uh, black man yeah. with straight hair, uh, a little bit closer to your color yeah. than, than to True. Chadwick Boseman's yes. hue. Yeah. Look, guys, we had this problem with Nina, with, uh, yeah. with the lovely oh, Zoe yeah. who played yeah. Nina. And Nina, Nina we have to, and I get it. I get it. I, I see what we're trying to do here. It's a good inclination. But you know what? Heavy D, yeah. uh, the, the, the iconic rap star from yeah. the 80s, would have made more sense playing yeah. Chadwick, uh, playing Thurgood Marshall than yeah. Chadwick Boseman. This is, black folks look at this, and the first thing we think is, 
that's not Thurgood Marshall. <laughs> and, and, and it's because it's, you know, it's a perfectly natural thing. Yeah. He does not look like, and I get it, uh, if you're producing this film, and, and particularly if you're a white producer of this film, you don't want to be like, I'm not going to lock all these black people mm-hmm. in the box of this sort of yeah. race. No, no, no. I'm gonna... Now, on the other hand, what you want is a movie star. Yeah. Chadwick Boseman is a movie star. True. They cast him because he's a movie star. Had they, if we built a few more movie stars and there were one or two walking around, mm-hmm. or the, the correct hue, yeah. uh, then we could, you know, there's a kid who played uh, Barack Obama in a movie called uh, Barry. Oh, oh yes. Sure. There, were, there were two, actually. There's a movie called Southside with Me, yeah. and, then, and then there was another movie called Barry, Netflix yeah. film. Two different actors, both yeah. played Barack Obama. Excellent portrayal. Yeah. Um, Southside with you especially it's, it's a great performance yeah uh, and uh, either one of those young men who were both sort of tall and mm-hmm. obviously fair skinned because Barack Obama is biracial etc mm-hmm. etc could have been could have, could have played this role that's a good point um, but, but they're, they're not, not quite movie stars yet. Well, that was yeah. the pro- That was the problem. That was why Sidney Poitier basically uh, had to play every single black part for yeah. about twenty years, including Thurgood Marshall. Including, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So anyway, I mean, I like I, valid points, and and I do like the film, but uh, I you know maybe it opens it up for uh, for some you know. It's a good solid movie though. It's a good solid movie. Can't can't, can't say it's not good a good solid movie. solid movie. Yeah. Uh, the My Little Pony movie. Uh, what I lo- what I liked about I'm not a My Little Pony guy. They're the bronies yeah. we talked about the bronies the second yeah. ago and all that kind of stuff. Um, what I like about this movie is the voice talent uh, who are all just kicking butt here. Big names: Emily Blunt, Quith- Kristen Chenoweth, Liev Schreiber, Michael Pena, Sia, Tay Diggs, Uza Aduba, and Zoe Saldana. It's great. Uh, you know, I mean, they they That's spared solid. no expense. Uh, to to infiltrate to insinuate uh, some really great voices and actors into the uh, persona of these little ponies still creeps me out it, it, because it should <laughs> of course it should creep you out it should creep everybody out you know what are you gonna do a lot of special features on this uh, on the Blu-ray one of my favorite films of the year Battle of the Sexes uh, with Emma Stone and Steve Carell the uh, the Bobby Riggs Billy Jean King drama which uh, is as served up by the uh, very very wonderful. Uh, filmmaking team who did uh, the husband and wife team who did uh, uh, Little Miss Sunshine uh, Valerie Ferris and uh, Jonathan Dayton uh, I see Jonathan Dayton at the market all the time I'm always trying to eavesdrop on him over by the the dairy aisle and hope he'll drop a little nugget about something but it never works uh, but anyway uh, Emma Stone and Steve Carell are terrific and the story which I thought I knew see this is why I yeah. like a movie like this more than I like something like, much as I admire them, but movies like Apollo 13 or Ali or more recently uh, the, uh, the, uh, 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 one? A biopic? The, the Ridley Scott. Uh, oh, all, all the money in the all world, money in the world with all its, its goofiness. Yes. So I, I admire all those films, but I lived all those stories, right? Mm-hmm. All, I remember reading the headlines. Particularly and, All the Money in the World, which was all the money in the world. You it know. was here. I I read the headlines. I followed them. You know, I kind of grew up with those stories. So those movies, as good as they are, don't give me anything that I didn't know. So Battle of the Sexes, I thought I was going to walk in and it'd be like, you know, what I I remember this story. I remember the whole that I knew. It turns out I knew nothing about this. Mm. And, and, and like you, first of all, I'm a I'm a tennis guy. Yeah. You know, you know, my lifelong tennis guy. For a brief moment, you play it. I, I just watch it. I thought I thought I could. For, <laughs> and Andre Agassi was on that tour. Yeah. I'm looking, this guy's like five nine and kind of shaped like me, yeah. uh, uh, you know. And, and he's kicking it. I'm like, I, I think maybe I can do this. Anyway, <laughs> I, was, I was wrong about that. But nevertheless, I'm a big tennis guy. I certainly remember this episode deeply 
um, uh, while it was sort of going on, and they did, and, and they revealed some interesting stuff here about that relationship between yep. between Billie Jean and her and her then husband. Yep. Uh, they are they, well, you know, the stuff is in the movie. Yeah. Uh, but quite quite fascinating. The nature of the tour. You know what the funniest thing about that movie about about that period? Yeah. Is that the very first first sponsor for that women's tour was a cigarette. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Virginia true. Slims. Virginia Slims. It's true, and people are smoking all. And they, the they were actually you know, on the sidelines smoking cigarettes. Uh, and and Sarah Silverman is great in this, by the way, as the sort of agent manager who runs the the all the stuff. I the was tour. hoping people would pay attention to her. Oh, she's and, so and you good. know, around about now. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, well, she's a little bit later. Really now. good. I mean, the uh, you know, he, and here's the thing, and and they and they fudge a lot of stuff, like the the romance that Billie Jean King has with her with the her yeah the hairdresser, which well, there was a romance with a hairdresser, but which it's was, not this woman. This one was never a hairdresser. No. You know, they so they fudge some facts, which is fine, yeah. uh, for the sake of drama and expediency. But the thing is, it's a lot of people have ripped this because it's a little bit. It's not. It doesn't rip on 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 Bobby. And um, I, I, I just think that's unfair. It, it's really unfair because Bobby Riggs was not a bad guy. Like when he declared himself a male chauvinist pig, that's not because he really was. It was a marketing ploy. He, Bobby, he was a hustler. He was. That's it. That's and, it. And, and and the thing of it of it is, he was hustling for both sides. He was. He, he, he was hustling for Billy too. Yeah. He, what he said is, what he basically said was, "I will be the clown." I, I, I may or may not beat you. In I this will be the match. rodeo clown yeah. and your rodeo, and, and, and you and you and you can be you can be the king of, uh, of the thing. Not to be through the match, no. But this is what I know about Bobby Riggs. Bobby Riggs knew he couldn't beat Billie Jean King. True. Um, uh, which is why Bobby Riggs never really tried to beat Billie Jean King. He mm-hmm. knew he could. First of all, she was twenty five years younger than him, yep. and she played better than he did. He had been a wonderful tennis player, but he wasn't an idiot. And the reason why I know that Bobby knew that he couldn't beat yep. Billie Jean King is because at fifty six, I played tennis with thirty year old women who kicked my ass all the time. <laughs> so you know, he knew he couldn't beat. Billie but Jean he King. was he was nonetheless a yeah. in his prime. Yeah, no, no, he was a, he was a champion yeah. amateur tennis player. Never made any money. Yeah. Um, um, you know, interesting relationship with the son, Bill Pullman. And anyway, I just thought it was it's, a really solid it's a effort. Good, solid movie. Good, solid movie. And it's got uh, you know a few little extras on it. Raw footage of uh, Billie Jean, Billie Jean's grand entrance and. Uh, Couple other featurettes. A lot of fun, and Emma's fa- uh, 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 fantastic. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, the mountain between us. This movie, Idris Elba and Kate Winslet, in this perfectly ludicrous movie, <laughs> uh, mountain crashes, uh, a plane crashes on a mountain. The two of them oh get stuck gosh. out there. The snow. They got to be. This is just so nuts. Yeah. This movie got me. Did it? I'd be damned. Is this? It's just. I'm like. I'm watching this movie, and I'm. I'm fighting against it. I'm like, no, <laughs> no. I'm not gonna go for this. I'm not gonna go. For this. this movie just drew me in. Why? Because good actors. Good. They're just both so damn good. They are. And I mean, and even after like I don't know, I think they, I think this, it's a completely made up movie. It's not based on anything. After after like six weeks on this frozen mountain, they look better. They're they're leaner. They're sexier. There's and there's a lesson here. And this is this is the kind of movie that would once upon a time have been made as a straight programmer in 1939 or oh, 1945 yeah. or 48 or even even nine, probably more this is probably more like 1952 yeah. right like yeah. love is a many splendored thing, thing. Yeah, it's that it's that go. kind of a deal let's just get a hot dude and a gorgeous girl and maybe they're both a little bit past their prime but it's good because so's the audience that's going to go and pay Full price to see them on opening weekend for at least a month. Make it as romantic as you possibly can, and do the do the smart thing. The thing that that movie does, this movie does, the mountain between us, is you end it happily. (laughs) 
there's no avalanche. Yeah, no, no, no. There is the this, forever. Yeah, no, you're in this. You're in yeah. that movie happy. Uh, I'm gonna give you the SWAT so yeah. I can talk about Harry Dean's last movie, uh, Lucky. Yeah. Ninety uh, something. Uh, Harry Harry made it too, and you know what are you gonna say? This this movie is very solid to begin with. Uh, so whether or not it, it was his la- would have been his last movie, it's just a very solid movie directed by John Carroll Lynch. Um, it really is a movie that understands whether they were thinking about it at the time that this very mel- well might be uh, his last movie. Uh, I think there's something about Harry Dean's performance in this movie, and he was in the he was doing that. David David Lynch is in this movie. Yeah. And he was also um, uh, he was in he was in Twin Peaks, Twin Peaks yeah, uh, while he was doing Final this. Season. So, so so you know the new his, season. His, his, there's a sort of homage homage to yep. to him in that. And so I, I think that everybody, I think that Harry Dean and everybody here was you know thinking, hey Harry, uh, you know the clock's ticking. You got something you want to say? And uh, and Harry Dean said it, and he sang it, and uh, goddamn, this is a good movie. Um, and that's that's that. I was hoping that it would have been a little bit more uh, talked about during yeah. the awards season. But, yeah. You know, for whatever sort of you know, maybe a little too melancholy. Tom scared Ed Bentley Jr. Ron Livingston. Solid movie. And then SWAT, the uh, misbegotten feature film version of SWAT with uh, Samuel Jackson and Colin yeah. Farrell. Uh, Michelle Rodriguez, LL Cool J, perfectly serviceable, average, run-of-the-mill action film directed by Clark Johnson. Um, nothing terrible about this. Uh, you know, Neil Moritz, who produced it, is kind of one of those guys who just, you know, kicks them out left and right. This has been on Blu-ray before. It's now out again from Mill Creek, uh, originally released by Columbia Pictures. And it's got a couple of audio commentary tracks on it. I, I, there's nothing terrible about this film, but it's just it feels like two episodes of the TV show, yeah. kind of upgraded with a big budget and a bigger cast. And I love it's a little blue. They can cuss a little bit, and that's about it. And, and here's the thing: I love Colin Farrell. I love Colin Farrell. I think he is the most underrated actor. I think has he even had an Oscar nomination yet? I don't think so. And 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 and, and he's sort of back now too. He is. You know, and, with, with those you know, lobster. Yeah. And, yeah. He's just, he's such a good actor, and he doesn't belong in these kinds of movies. He really doesn't. I, well, he had a moment there uh, where when he first hit the scene after yeah. that Joel Schumacher movie, yep. Tigerland. Tigerland. Uh, and, and he was a thing, and, and he, he made a few bad choices. Played yeah. Bullet in that uh, version yeah, of uh, yeah. uh, 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 Daredevil. Daredevil. Yeah. Uh, big movies, and he got paid. I kind of get that, you know, yeah. you, know you want to get paid. And then he sort of, you know, and then within Bruges, yeah. He sort of reappeared, and since then, he was pretty much solid as a rock. And he's done so many interesting things. I mean, he's a little bit like Jim Caviezel. He's a really good actor who just floats through these films, and you sometimes forget how good he can be. Um, uh, you know, this is this is kind of like Miami Vice. They went and got Colin Farrell and stuck him in a big-budget remake of an old TV show because he's, he's just got that face. But um, he deserves better. Anyway, SWAT, perfectly acceptable. Two audio commentaries. I can't rip on it but I can't really recommend it either mm. uh, docs or uh, foreign what do we want to dive uh, into why don't, why don't you jump over to the foreign okay I'll knock out some foreign films here uh, we've got the uh, best actress winner from the Locarno Film Festival Happy Hour by Japanese director Ryosuke Hamaguchi uh, this film just after after uh, Sachi Tanaka um, uh, won best actress at the Locarno this thing just sort of Vanished, and uh, I, you know, it didn't really, it didn't really get a theatrical release. It just kind of fell off of everybody's radar, and that's that's really too bad. It is, um, it's a really really good film. 
it's a, you know, Japanese movies are typically not female-centric. It's still a very, very patriarchal society. So when you do get them that deal with, you know, the lives and the experiences of women in Japan, um, it's kind of, it's something to be, to pay attention to. And this is just one of those, you know, multiple life, multiple experience uh, tapestries set in Japan. Takes place in a little in the city of Kobe, which is just you know a, a relatively small city in Japan, and um, it is uh, it's just it's really poignant and it's very well written and it's just beautifully beautifully acted and uh, I, I, I I hope you go out and check it out. It's a it's a really really good film. It's called Happy Hour by Ryosuke Hamaguchi. Um, definitely give it a look. And then a movie that I absolutely love, After Love by Joaquim Lafosse. Uh, this is a French film with uh, Bernice Bejo and Cedric Kahn. Um, such an interesting movie. Uh, essentially, it's about a, a couple who is, they've separated. Um, I, not, I don't think it's clear whether or not they've divorced, but they've separated. They have two daughters, and they split time with the daughters. They don't get along well, and uh, it is... It is about a, uh, I'm not going to give anything away here, it is about a, the, the unusual um, uh, post-split-up arrangement that they have. And, and I'm not going to say anything more because you need to see the film, but there's a very interesting arrangement that they have. And uh, it is a, it's a bit contrived, but it's contrived in order to take a really, really penetrating look at a relationship in deterioration, how it affects kids, how it affects the people. It's, it's photographed in that and directed in that beautiful, beautiful uh, kind of French New Wave way where you will watch an entire scene transpire mm. it, for like five minutes before you realize there hasn't been a cut. Mm. And the camera hasn't even moved apart from the just being panning back and forth mm. where they will stage everything in, in like in the kitchen and then in the adjacent bedroom. And all the camera does is pan. And it will pan and it'll back and forth and it'll pan back and forth and the action is so well blocked and so organic and so natural and the actors are interacting in such a normal way that it takes you, like, after five or six minutes, you go, they haven't really had a close. There's been no cuts. Mm. There's no close-ups. There's no cuts. I, it's, it's almost like I'm just sitting on the couch watching these people live their lives. Although he would never and move his camera, the, the sense that you get is a sense of an Ozu film. Very much, you know, very much. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's really, really, it's very, and that just and that amplifies the emotions even yeah. more. It's really beautiful. Uh, then we have uh, Adele Hyannell in the Unknown Girl. You'll probably you, you know her from a lot of things. Uh, Adele Hyannell has just beautiful French features and those just piercing eyes. Uh, she's in BPM right now, which is the French uh, contender for the Academy Awards. Uh, which I do not think made the, uh, the final list. Did BPM make the final no. short list of 15? It didn't. No. Yeah, it was a mistake to even put that up. But still, uh, you know, she's amazing. And uh, the unknown girl, she's just amazing in it. Uh, this is from the Dardenne Brothers. One of their lesser films, I would say, but she is still great in it. And she plays a young doctor uh, at, a, uh, at a clinic, and uh, it is... Um, there's a there's a particular case that involves a an African woman who uh, is needs to be treated at this clinic, and um, she has oh, how do I even explain this without giving this away? So there's a there's a case of a young African woman, 
and she needs to be treated at the clinic, and it deeply affects how this young doctor regards herself and her career and her her her, her profession and you know her calling. Um, it's a really interesting um, psychological journey that becomes uh, kind of a mystery, and. Um, uh, it, it goes into really interesting places. The, you know, the Dardennes are, I've always been hit and miss with them. If it's something like Rosetta, I can't stand it. Something like The Child, I love. I don't know how to even explain that. Yeah. Half their films I really love and half their films just find, I find be pretentious. This is, a, this is, kind, this is on, the, on the positive side. Uh, Four Days in France by uh, director Jerome Raybaud. This is on Blu-ray from uh, Cinema Guild. And uh, this is a very, very sweet, delicate film, like you would have uh, you would have expected maybe in the '70s. It's a gay romance, and um, it 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 has uh, it's sort of it's sort of about the directions that uh, love has taken in the digital era, in the era of Grinder in particular. And yeah. it's not it doesn't have to be specifically gay. This has what this says about relationships. It just happens to be set on a gay relationship. But it applies as much to men and women mm. and heterosexual relationships as it does uh, to gay relationships. So, um, yeah, it's a really thoughtful film. It's a very thoughtful film. It's very nicely put together. It's very, very delicate, and uh, has some really good extras. Got a short film by Jerome Ray Beau. Uh, some, you know, just the raw rushes and deleted scenes, and, uh, and an essay as well. Very good. Two from first run features. Uh, we have The Stopover by Delphine and Muriel Coulin, which is uh, primarily um, about uh, the, the, the trauma faced by female soldiers, specifically dealing with a, you know, a group of French soldiers that stop in Cyprus on their way back from uh, service in Afghanistan. And uh, it is, uh, it, it's, it's really pretty, pretty impressive. Uh, it's really an impressive film by Delphine and Muriel Coulin, sisters. Um, really well performed, beautifully made, as so many French films are. And then uh, the summer of all of my of of all my parents by the filmmaker known as Diastem. Just one word. A nice little thriller. Yeah, uh, this is a cool little thriller uh, about a, uh, a couple of sisters, teenage sisters who uh, are you know dealing with they go back and forth between their parents who are divorced, and. Um, it is, uh, it is it, one of them is attracted to a boy who is not quite good for her. And from there it turns into, it's very interesting stuff. It's a, it's a good solid little kind of minor French thriller. So that's from First Run Features. And then lastly, three terrific titles from uh, Kino Lorber uh, in their, uh, what I hope is going to be an ongoing Lena Wertmuller collection. Uh, Seven Beauties, Fernando and... Uh, uh, yes. Fernando and Carolina and Summer Night. All are terrific films. Seven Beauties is significant because it's the first time that anyone, uh, a woman was ever nominated for Best Director at the Academy Awards. Yep. And uh, Lena... I think Ver there have only been about three since. Uh, Something like see. that. Right? Uh, Not many. I think one. I think one. I one think, other? I think uh, uh, Hurt Locker was, is the only... Uh, Catherine. Uh, yeah, Bigelow. Yeah. I think she's the only one since. I don't think... In, my, been in my mind, Jane Champion was nominated, but maybe... Campion Jane was Campion, Campion was... was Jane Campion was nominated. Yeah, yeah she was nominated, did not win. Maybe yeah, so. for a, a piano or something. So like yes, that. so it was the, the, the so yes, uh, Hurt Locker was the first win. Yeah, okay. first win. In any case, uh, Seven Beauties is a great film. It is amazing. It is it's a it's a decent Blu-ray. 
could probably be better, uh, but it's really a tremendous film, and it has a wonderful essay by Alison Anders uh, in Among the Bonus Features, which is it's just very, very telling. Um, the, uh, the other two films, Fernando and Carolina and uh, Summer Night, are also very good. Summer Night is definitely the, the, the better of them. It's a, just a fun comedy. It's got you know, a, a booklet essay by uh, Simon Abrams and uh, some trailers. And then, you know, Fernando and, uh, and Carolina is, it, a lot of people love it. I think it dates a little poorly. It's also a comedy. Um, uh, Simon Abrams also did an essay for this, but it's, it's okay. But still, you know, if you're a Verit Muller completist, you should get all three. Yeah. Uh, documentaries? Yeah, let's do the docs. Uh, I, I'll start on these, these top two, if you don't mind. The first one is a, a, a film called Whose Streets We Will Not Go Quietly. Whose Streets? So this is a... It's a good doc. It's a very, very good doc. And, yeah. uh, you know, full disclosure, very personal documentary to me. It's about the, the aftermath and the kill, of the killing of Michael Brown. Michael yeah. Brown, of course, killed in the St. Louis suburb of Ferguson. I am from St. Louis, yep. as you know. Literally lived in Ferguson. Literally lived in the complex, the Canfield Green uh, apartment complex that Michael Brown lived in. Literally uh, 30 years ago, more than yeah. 30 years ago, 35 years ago, Bridget and I lived in that wow. complex. 35 years ago, we lived in that complex. Wow. Literally drove right through that intersection every day where that boy's body lie dead for four hours after he was killed. Drove Unreal. through that intersection every day. Um, and, and therefore, knowing my bones that the city of Ferguson, and by extension the city of St. Louis, certainly over a long period of time, is exactly the city uh, that represented in this documentary. Yeah. I understand. I remember city. you and I talked about. We that talked after about it this happened. very deeply. Yeah. One of the reasons why, you know, in 1989, my wife and I moved to LA is yeah. because we couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. Uh, uh, we just had to get out of the sort of West Midwest, uh, uh, Midwest South yeah. area, because even in the late. 80s it was and then all of that obviously carries on and over and right through this set of yep. events um so this film uh is a reflection of that debut film for both of the young directors uh, uh sarah foley uh and damian davis and a very very powerful film mostly on the streets for me uh striking to watch this movie and see and you know, i go home all the time so you know I, I spend a lot of time there and see these places and these people and a certain amount of pride uh, wells up, I, I, I will admit, in watching uh, my um, people push back. Secondly, uh, I want to talk about this film, The Pulitzer at 100, the Pulitzer mm -hmm. Prize, of course. Yeah. Uh, the Pulitzer Prize, of course, originated by the uh, Pulitzer family, yeah. Pulitzer being the publishers of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, mm -hmm. of course, among other things. So the Pulitzer Prize was always a big thing that sort of loomed large, uh, and, and, you know, in the zeitgeist of my life, life as a kid. This is a neo movie because it's uh, about and told by and speaks to a number of uh, folks who won the Pulitzer Prize. And uh, great voices reading for some of the folks who have passed on and talking about what some of it meant to them. So you get to hear from uh, uh, Lee F. Shriver and, and just a whole bunch of folks, Michael Chabon and Toni Morrison and all of these people who won the prize over the years. You know, I have mixed feelings about the Pulitzer Prize. I do too. <laughs> uh, you know, just as a thing in general, you know. It's. I mean, I feel a little bit about it the way I feel about the Nobel, which is I'm Same glad. It, I'm glad yeah. that it exists, but it. But there's a certain bias that is inherent, and and when they when they deviate from that bias, I'm always very happy, and I and and I celebrate, but. Uh, they 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 don't deviate from that bias often enough. Yeah. Well, look, you can't again in St. Louis, growing up, watching that uh, award come out every year for years yeah. and years and years, and very seldom seen. You know, occasionally, 
but very seldom seen brown folks. Yeah. Uh, very seldom, uh, for one thing, I mean, it's so internecine. It's all yeah. about Americans mostly. Yeah. Uh, as if, you know, Egyptians and. and yeah. And, and, uh, it's true. So, so, you know, all of that. So, but yeah. nevertheless, one appreciates the Pulitzer Prize. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, DOA, a rite of passage. If you know punk, if you like punk, you apparently know this documentary. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a famous, uh, famous punk history documentary, primarily centering around the uh, 1978 uh, Sex Pistols tour in the United States. Uh, this is from MVD, the uh, music video distributor people. Um, this is a new special collector's edition with gobs of special features that just go on and on and on and on. You're going to love this. If you are a, uh, a music history person, you don't have to be a punk person because yeah. I'm not a punk person, uh, but I do love a good music uh, documentary. And I should point out one of my favorite films of the year, not just favorite documentaries, but one of my favorite films of the year is Long Strange Trip, the four hour long documentary about Dead. the Grateful Dead. Yeah. I don't even like the Grateful Dead, but I love that movie. And this is a really good movie too. Yeah, so. yeah the, the Clash and the Dead Boys and there's all kinds oh, of. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The movies from 1981. It's this is not a new movie. Generation this is an old X. Movie. Gen yeah. This is an old movie. Generation yeah. X. Back when they had Billy Idol. Thank uh, you. Maybe. Yeah. Before Billy Idol yeah. became Billy Idol. Before, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, before he kind of really exploited it all. Uh, the Dead Boys, uh, Clash, and Iggy Pop, or everybody's in here. So it's uh, it's a, it's a really it's a really good film. By the way, the the the. Um, uh, Billy Idol, um, mm. I have Billy Idol story, as long as you yeah. reminded me. So, uh, when I used to work for Air France a million years ago, yeah. uh, Billy Idol was one of the many people who would come through, and you know, you, you always paid attention to the celebrities, whether it's you know Diane Lane or Jerry Lewis or you know whoever it was. So Billy <laughs> Billy Idol, Billy Idol uh, came through at one point and um, went up to the first class lounge, and uh, didn't sit on any of the furniture. Just what chose to sit on the floor, <laughs> and uh, and and it and it became a thing, and everybody was really concerned that he was sitting on the floor. And I remember this very very. This is this is the kind of the counterpoint to when Jerry Lewis went to the first class lounge and started singing to everybody just spontaneously, and uh, scared the daylights out of my friend Sandrine, who didn't know how to respond to it. But <laughs> nobody was complaining, so who cares? And um, and Billy Idol uh, just came and he just sat on the floor, and and eventually whoever was running the lounge walked up to him and just and just said, you know. Um, is okay because you can sit on the chair over there. Mm -hmm. There's lots of chairs you can sit on. Is there a, is there a problem? And he just said no. <laughs> that was it. He, just, he was sitting on the floor, man. No, I just like sitting on the floor. I like sitting, uh, on, sitting on your floor. Billy Allen. Oh, that was uh, man, so funny. Man, man after my own yeah. dreams there. Uh, the Settlers. Uh, this is a very compelling uh, uh, doc uh, about the Jewish settlers in the West Bank. Uh, the, more or less the first one. Yeah. That sort of just goes in there and hangs out, fly on the walls. It's style. good. It's a good movie. Uh, and, and, and and very moving. You know, I mean, the, the Six Day War, nineteen sixty seven, the West Bank. Um, and, uh, and and you know, I covered this on Film Week, and I remember I remember watching this. It's it still sticks with me. It's it, because it gets to the root of the problem, which is an intractable problem. Yeah. And this doesn't. Th th this film does not pretend to have any any answers. It no. doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't say. Here's the problem, and here's what you need to do to fix it. It doesn't. It just says this is an intractable problem. But I at least want you to understand that there's a human face, that these are people, that yeah. these are individuals. And, you know, you, however you feel about the, the settlements, you do walk away from this understanding that these people have a point of view and that they, they, they are deeply religious and, and they're not 
they're not going peacefully. They're it's not. not a, it's, it, you know, it, it's not about crazy. It's not about it, crazy. It's, it's, it's easy to just put it all in the box of, it, of, of just something. It's not. Crazy. It it uh, it, it no. brings home how what a, what a deeply deeply troubling uh, problem this is, and how intractable. Well, a lot it is. of history. A lot of history. In this a lot of history. Yeah. It's good. Uh, uh, Julian Snobble, a private portrait. Julian Snobble, of course, the director of one of my favorite films of all time, *The Diving Bell and the Butterfly*. Yeah. Uh, of course, Julian um, was quite a prolific artist, fine art artist, painter, and sculptor, uh, well before he became a, a, a director, a director of popular films. Anyway, yep. he's sort of always been making films. Uh, this literally is a portrait of his entire uh, sort of life uh, as a public person, um, which goes back quite a long ways and encompasses a great many very interesting people. So in this film, we see uh, people like uh, uh, Basquiat, talking yep. about Julian Schnabel, uh, which is an interesting thing in and of itself. So uh, Cohen Media Group film, we've done some um, some work for them on occasion. Uh, uh, in terms yes. Of, uh, so, so, but this is this is really really neat. So check it out. I'm a big big Julian Schnabel fan. I, I, I wish he would make more movies. He should. He really should. Yeah. Uh, Santoala by Andrew Becker and Daniel Mehrer. Santoala from Oscilloscope. This is on Blu-ray. Um, this is a very disturbing documentary. This is about a Dutch couple, a very kind of, you know, very progressive sort of quasi-hippie uh, Dutch couple who want to get back to the earth, back to roots, and they and they they basically go to set up kind of a, a farm, a kind of a co-op-y kind of farm in this small Spanish village of Santuala, where nobody lives anymore mm. except for one family. Now, this sounds like a setup to a horror film, it, it, and it and it kind of is because. Eventually, you get this this feud going with the one family. I don't know how you have two two families occupying a whole village. There isn't enough room for everybody. Like everyone else has moved away. It's depressed a part of Spain, you know. But this one family is still there. They're the old ones, you know, with the, like the the evil eye, right? It, 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 and one of the as, as if it's not as if you didn't need anything else. One of the sons is mentally mm. handicapped, so. So there's a Lenny thing going on, right? It yeah. becomes like a real life mice and men thing. And as soon as as soon as you're interviewing the the son, and I'm like, Lenny, yeah. I know where this is going. Yeah. So know where this is going. Anyway, at a certain point, the uh, the, the 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 Dutch couple, the guy disappears. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm not I'm not giving anything away That's by telling you by telling you. Lenny killed the bunny. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is this is. I, 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 if you've seen even, you don't even have to have read Mice and Men or seen the movie. You just have to have seen the Bugs Bunny cartoon with the abominable snowman yeah. saying, "I love Lenny. my little bunny rabbit." Thing. Love him and stroke him and stroke his bill. Wait a minute, bunny rabbits don't have bills. Do you know where this is going? Anyway, it's a very disturbing movie, but it's true. It all happened, and um, it gives you the whole whole ugly story. Oscilloscope really kind of kills it with this one. It's very good. And then uh, just get through my little uh, stack of docs here real quickly. Um, Aviva Kempner made a really interesting film called Rosenwald, uh, which is, uh, which is it, it's it's really a beautiful story, and I'm amazed that it doesn't it hasn't gotten a lot more um, a lot more traction. Uh, I covered this on Film Week as well, and uh, it's a really really touching story about Julius Rosenwald who was a an amazing philanthropist and uh, who teamed with Booker T. Washington to try to um, uh, bring the Jim Crow South mm -hmm. out of its educational downward spiral. 
and wound up essentially building more than 5,000 schools based on his belief in the Jewish doctrine of Tikkun Olam. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, a, it's just a beautiful, beautiful story of, you know, the, it's, it's basically an American story, you know. It's someone from one community uh, and uh, trying to sort of lift people up in another community because they're all part of the same country. And it is, um, it's deeply, deeply uh, touching. And especially when you realize how many people actually benefited from the schools that he funded. I mean, what it gave us. It gave us Gordon Parks. It mm -hmm. gave us uh, Marian Anderson. Many of those Langston Hughes. St. Louis area, where I'm from. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand that there was this very, very... Look, I'm, 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 more than anything else, I'm Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 and there was this very, very specific uh, uh, relationship between the black and Jewish communities that goes all the way back to the 20s, to that period, right yeah. after, right, during, right after yeah. Reconstruction. Particularly in the South, yeah, uh, where there was a, a particular sort of, of commiseration between those two communities over a long period of time. And when you look at a lot of those HBCUs down there, and you look at those walls where they have the plaques of the donors yep. that built them, yep. you will find a lot of Greenfields and Goldbergs and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff because of that relationship, ship, but which got complicated as we moved into the 60s. Yep. Uh, in, in, in the 70s. But it was there, and I, I sort of still lingers in a certain sort of sense. And that takes us to uh, first round features Germans and Jews. History is the memory of a people, which is uh, a really interesting documentary that looks at the history of Jews in Germany. Obviously, in the, you know, we, the, the Holocaust and World War II is, is, uh, is not the, the dominant theme here. It sort of launches from there and how it has gotten us to a place today where the fastest growing Jewish population in Europe is, in fact, in Berlin. It is in Germany once again. And uh, this is about the transformation, the post-World War II transformation of German society, which has gotten to a very, very different place. And even um, some would say with the, with the refugee uh, crisis that Germany absorbing more refugees than anywhere else in Europe is, in fact, transforming German society. Some would say for the better, some would say for the worse. But it is, it is uh, you know, growing pains in, every, in any case. Um, I find this to be a very, very interesting film, especially because, as many people who've listened to the, to the, uh, the podcast any period of time know, my mother was German and was a World War II refugee. And uh, one of the things that I've always remembered growing up, uh, you know, my mother grew up in a, in a distant part of, uh, of Prussia in Pomerania in a little farm far away from everything before, you know, the, the Eastern Front collapsed and they had to flee. And um, my mother used to always say she never, she never saw a Jewish person until she was probably about uh, eight years old. Mm. And um, she went to the big city mm. uh, nearby for, you know, shopping or school or whatever it was and then saw one person there who was wearing the star. And that mm. was my mother's first exposure. So she didn't grow up in a Germany that was in a part where she was exposed to the Jewish population of Germany. However, growing up every single time uh, I remember so well. I'm gonna I'm gonna start to cry if I, yeah. if I get it. But I remember growing you up cry, every single time my mother saw somebody with a, with a concentration camp tattoo. She she put her arm around him and yeah. she talked to him. And there was this amazing bond because they could all say they remembered Germany when. Yeah. You know they had they had like a common a common bond between them and it was um, it was it was always deeply affecting to me and I never forgot that and so, in the same way there's a certain sort of loss obviously the the you know the the concentration camps and, and the loss of entire families was a very specific yeah. thing that happened to 
to that part of the Jewish community. But a lot of German people were uh, driven out and lost everything. My mother of, was... So, and, well, yeah, I was going to say. And, and, she, and, and 30 members of her family died in World War II as well. Like, yeah, so this, you know, and, and, was, and this gets lost a little bit. Yeah, you know, it in, does. And the complications so, of, the, of the way we talk about that complicated history. Uh, but that, there you go. Um, Rumble, Indians Who Rock the World. Dude... I really like this movie. I love this movie. I like it a lot. And I was, I was, I was a little bit embarrassed as a music guy, a lifelong yeah. music guy. You know, my dad was a musician. And, did and we I cover this together on film? Did we? I think we did. I and, think this was our week. I think I, it was. I did not know that that Robbie Robertson. I mean, I'm sorry. I know. There's all these people on this screen. This is about um, the underlying connection between the Native American uh, uh, culture and community, yep. their traditions and music. And how those traditions have a through line yep. right through rock and roll, one that we usually sort of trace back to the yep. African American community yep. in a very specific sort of way. But they illustrate uh, through rhythm uh, and time and connections and overlap yep. of communities and all kinds of stuff how Native American beats, how Native American rhythms, how Native, and then the actual people. Uh, Link Ray, who I didn't yeah. know, yeah. Uh, but I mean, I so didn't. many people uh, in this movie. Who I'm like, that's a that's a Native American. Yeah, <laughs> I just had no idea. Yeah. blew my mind. Thank goodness for this documentary. I agree. Uh, uh, Rumble, Indians who rock the world. Yeah, and uh, then a couple more, and we'll wrap out the show. Uh, I'll do a couple here. I'll let you uh, hit some of those. Betting on zero uh, from Kino Lorber. Uh, really, really interesting doc um, that that deals with. The the uh, oh, where do you even go? Bill, so Bill Ackerman is a hedge fund guy, yeah, and um, he he is shorting Herbalife in this doc. Now yeah. I don't know where all this stuff is is gone, but he is a he's a big gnarly hedge fund high roller, and he is betting. He thinks Herbalife is a criminal scam, yeah, a total a, Ponzi, a Ponzi scheme, scheme. Yeah. and so he is shorting it. And this is essentially about that high stakes. Uh, Wall Street stuff that goes on, and uh, it's 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 you know, it, make up your own mind about Herbalife, but it's um it's a, it's a, it's about really high stakes games when you're dealing with people's money. There are millions and millions and millions of yeah. other people's money, and you're gambling it uh, on the idea that one company is going to have the the regulators come down and crush it. It, it gets. It, I mean, this is high stakes poker. Mm -hmm. This is as high stakes as it gets. So it's a really interesting doc. It's particularly interesting because there was a murder. Uh, that, yes. that was involved in the whole Herbalife thing. That, yeah. that, that played. Anyway, that's, that's, and it's, it's good. It plays and, and then lastly, The Lost Worlds of Jerry Anderson. Jerry Anderson is one of my heroes. He is kind of like Jerry Gene Roddenberry. He's like Gene Roddenberry, but not. Uh, you know, Thunderbirds, UFO, Space 1999, uh, Captain Scarlet, all that uh, Super Marionation stuff. It's fantastic. This is from MPI, and this is an absolutely terrific uh, just tribute doc. It just well, we lost in... Jerry a couple of years ago, maybe. I know. Something like that. It's a great tribute. It's a great tribute to all this stuff, and uh, you even see scenes from um, uh, Here Comes Candy, which was, you know, which is a thing of his that had never been shown before. Uh, Dick Spanner, all this unknown stuff, unseen stuff, and, and of course, Space 1999. Uh, they, they, you know, it's just really, it's great. It's terrific. So a lot of fun. Um, the uh, the Lost Worlds of Jerry Anderson, you're going to have a blast. Yeah. Can't go wrong with that. Want, want me to do this real quick? Yeah, or just knock, knock one real, out. Real quick, uh, Dawson City, Frozen in Time, filmed by Bill Morrison. This is an interesting story. So uh, a whole cache, over 500 films from the teens and 20s, mostly silent area films, were found stashed away in this frozen vault in the Yukon in the city of Dawson. Fascinating. There's a reason why they're there, and, 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 and a perfectly logical reason, actually, uh, why they're there. Because they were uh, 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 you know, sub-Arctic sort of frozen 
they were they these nitrate films uh, were w well preserved. So lots and lots of films, several films that were thought to have been lost to history. Uh, were found and revived uh, and are in this movie. It's just absolutely extraordinary. Just one of those things, a happenstance. What are you going to do? All right. And uh, with, that it, with that, it is done. We are off uh, for another week, and we will see you guys back next week, uh, which um, uh, I, think, I think probably the week after that we'll do a summation of the, uh, the uh, LAFCA Awards. Okay. We're, I think we're going we're gonna to record next week's show before the awards. So uh, in two weeks we'll have a summation. Tim will give us a, a, a lowdown on the awards show, and uh, we will see you guys next week. Thank you.